Well, welcome back. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing good. So you want to talk about war. Yeah, let's talk about war. As my son, who's seven years old, uh, said last night when we were discussing, my wife and I were discussing war, that, uh, that just kicked off, actually, a land invasion, and uh, said something to my wife about it, or she brought it up, and my young son, who we obviously haven't, haven't talked to in depth about the, the brutality of war, um, and he you know, doesn't have that understanding, said, oh, cool, there's a war? Because yeah. <laughs> to him, right, to a young boy, uh, it's, um, war is an exciting thing where you show courage and, right. and there's, there's glory and all, the, all these uh, right. things. And, and of course, he's innocent. The reality of war has not set in on him. And, and to a degree, I want to protect that. But we're not going to delve into how to talk to your kids about war in this episode. What we, we want to do is a little bit of a, a primer, a discussion on war, because what we're seeing now is uh, Russia has invaded the Ukraine. They've pushed over the border. They're within miles, uh, last I checked, of the capital city, Kiev. They came from Crimea. Um, they, they said it was a special war action, but from what I could see on um, action spots, hot spots all over on the map, mm -hmm. it's all over the country that they have begun attacking. And like I said, they're using air assets, uh, land assets, and the Ukrainian people are fighting back. And interestingly enough, the Ukrainian government, which is a pretty much, um, there's no second amendment there. The citizens really weren't armed. They're handing guns out to the citizenry now, hmm. which I think is a fascinating thing to have in your pocket as someone who is, um, you know, pro protection via <laughs> the use of firearms. Hmm. So all that to say, there is war happening in our lifetime. So how are we as Christians to think about war, to think about uh, maybe just war <laughs> mm -hmm. theory and maybe pacifism? Uh, so this one's going to be a little, a little bit of a primer. We'll see where we go with it. But uh, to start us off, um, Christopher, what what is a? I have a working definition here of of just war. And essentially what, what just war is, it's a, a justification on how and why wars are fought. And if I'm correct, can't that be traced back to Augustine's writings? Yeah, I think Augustine was the, the primary developer of it as far as kind of systematizing and, and calling it um, something like just war theory. Mm -hmm. uh, it was developed further by Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Yeah, and they're kind of, there really are two categories of just war theory. Use um, ad bellum, which refers to, um, which is concerned with the the justice and ethics of declaring war. Mm -hmm. When is it right to enter into war? Right. And use in bello, meaning a justice in war, um, concerned with the conduct during war. So, you know, conduct during war, meaning non-combatants should not be <laughs> directly intentionally attacked. Um though it's recognized that there may be accidental casualties, but non-combatants are not to be directly targeted, um, and, the, and it has to be, um, actions taken have to be proportionate. There has to be a balance between the good achieved versus the harm done and whatnot. So that's, that's in war. But the, the primary discussion about just war theory tends to focus on use ad bellum, meaning um, the, the ethics of declaring war. When right. is it right to, to declare war? And so basically... Uh, Augustine and, and then Aquinas talk about 
the the justice of declaring war of have or having or declaring or entering into war as more or less being um, war, war should only be waged on legitimate authority. Mm-hmm. So in our context, for example, a militia, which I'm not against volunteer militias <laughs> right. be, being in existence, uh, but a militia does not have the constitutional legitimate authority to declare war on the Ukraine, <laughs> on, <laughs> right. on, on Russia. Congress has the authority to declare war. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that matter, the president does not have the authority to declare war, right, which right? has been Congress a big problem. Has the authority to declare war lately, it's right. been a big problem, right? In the uh, last couple decades, yeah. Which that whole thing is really misunderstood because we 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 love to refer to the president as the commander in chief, but technically is the only the commander in chief. He's only in charge of the armed forces as commander in chief when there is declared war. Right. Once once Congress has once has Congress done that. has legitimately declared war, the president is the commander in chief. But he's not acting commander in chief. Uh, he's not considered the commander in chief when there's no declared war. Right. So that the whole that whole discussion is a little bit muddied in (laughs) in our american discussions but wars have to be fought only on legitimate authority the war itself the cause must be just yeah according to just war theory uh, the war has to be just Um, the war has to be fought for example in order to resist aggression or then it's it's expanded uh to to protect the innocent it is later expanded to mean that even if the aggression is not directly against us we can go in and defend the innocent against the unjust aggression of someone else. And throughout the history of the church and traditional conservative political views as a whole, there's been a there's been a rather large deal of <laughs> disagreement about that right. aspect of whether war must only be uh, personally defensive. In other words. Uh, a nation can justly go to war only in defense of invasion against themselves yep. or if they can intervene, you know, right. for an intervention, um, if they can intervene uh, on behalf of of others against some perceived unjust aggression. And later it, it, it was expanded to include wording like um, to support the rights of some oppressed group. So I, I would fairly firmly uh, fall on the traditionalist side of things with, yeah. with regard to that. I, I don't think that war is just merely to go in and intervene uh, for the protection of some uh, of the rights of some oppressed group, yeah. uh, which of course then raises all kinds of questions and disagreements, uh, specifically from Christians, uh, right. but also from any kind of neoconservative uh, viewpoint. But we can talk more about it another time, maybe. But uh, I, I tend to lean towards the uh, defense against uh, aggression against one's own, even over against the um, the intervention to protect uh, another nation. Uh, it, although I, I wouldn't be as hard and fast on that. Um, I think there may be room for coming to the aid of another nation, particularly if it's requested. Right. right. Uh, and then thirdly, in just war theory, it uh, has to have... Um, the war must have right intention. In other words, it has to have the right reasons for entering the war. It has to advance the good and avoid evil. It has to have clear aims. Um, it has to be open to negotiation. It can't be entered into for uh, material gain. Yeah. 
which more or less rules out quite a lot of the warring that's happened over the last century, yes. right? Right. Um, and, and then uh, war has to be a last resort, other attempts having failed or being unavailable, and there has to be a reasonable hope of justice. And that's an important way to word that, reasonable hope of justice. Sometimes it's, it's worded as a reasonable hope of success, but uh, realistically, in the Christian tradition specifically, um, a realistic hope of success, of victory, has not always been the, de- uh, the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. If, a, if justice will be upheld, then the cause is righteous, even if you're pretty convinced there's no way to win. Right. You know, so so uh, losing battles are not always inappropriate. You know, right. lost causes, so to speak, are not always inappropriate in the, in the Christian tradition. Um, but ordinarily speaking, for a nation to consider entering a war, there does have to be some kind of reasonable um, expectation of justice being upheld, which ordinarily involves some level of victory being expected. You know, right. think of Jesus saying... Uh, no, no king goes to war without first counting the cost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of idea. Yeah. And that's a really helpful definition of, of just war, what it's all about. And it's become, well, I, I think the further the West, the Western culture walks away from, from God, biblical principles, and turns to hardened secularism, the, the less and less we're going to see just war being waged. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, you think, you think about, the brutality of war, right? I, I know, I know some people listening to this may be completely anti-war, right? You may be a pacifistic Christian. You may be completely anti-war. Like there is no good reason for us to go to war or stick our noses in places where it doesn't belong. And I can, I can, which wording it that way is slightly different than being yes, a complete pacifist and that's totally true. War, right? That's true. But those aspects, I can, I can certainly relate. I can certainly sympathize, if you will, sure. with some of those sentiments. But if you think about war over the centuries, um, over the millennia, you will see that just war theory is incredibly civil compared to total war or other <laughs> other aspects of war. Brian Sauvet recently posted, war is almost always a racket designed to make rich and powerful people richer or more powerful, increase the size of tyrannical governments and otherwise glory and death. And God will judge the bloodthirsty. And he goes on with some good. And that was kind of the point I was hinting at a minute ago. Right. And and that's what we will, uh, we'll we'll get into, you know, what, what is a, some really good Christian thoughts on war here in a few minutes. But when you think about war over the centuries, over the years, what we've really developed in, in Western culture based on Christian principles mm. is incredibly um, more just and and um, more civil, if you will. I don't know right. the correct term right. here, yeah. than what it used to be. American troops, I, I was in the army, American troops are trained to not loot. Um, mm. We have tons of regulations around war trophies, it's mm-hmm. very rare that you you truly get to you know legally keep war trophies. Right. There's no pillaging. There's no raping. At least there should not be, right? And so, if you look at, I'm using America as an example, but much of the Western um, cultures' wars and and military actions that they've had over the last few um, hundred years have been relatively civil. Now, again, the further we walk away from God, the further we move away from God's principles and our culture becomes um, hardened in secularism, 
mm-hmm. the more we're going to see loss of civilian life um, being cast off, um, possible loss of discipline within the ranks when it comes to all those things that we just listed. We're not seeing those things quite yet. Um, and yes, I know this is a touchy subject. You can point to a lot of loss of civilian yeah. life in the previous conflicts that we've had. Um, right. All the war that's happened in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, a lot of the unmanned drone strikes that may or may not have killed civilian targets and trying to take out one guy. And we can, right. you could dive into all of these aspects or, or situational things and, and talk about did the ends really justify the means and all this different stuff. We're not, we're not diving into the weeds on this. We're trying to give mm-hmm. a, a broad overview. And, and just war theory is truly um, much more civil than, than a, a, a pagan aspect of war. Because if you look at it, they're, they're, they're striving for what? Resources, more power, and expansion of tyrannical, um, tyrannical control or reach. Mm. That's what historically... Uh, pagan societies that's how they go to war and that's why they go to war right yeah think about just the the amount the sheer amount of bible verses that talk about the necessity of taking up violence in defense of the innocent against unjust aggression right uh brian survey in that post mentions psalm 144 1 may yahweh may rock my rock be praised who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare you know david is praising the lord for being his strength in battle Um, solomon urges us not to be passive in any way when he says if you do nothing in a time of trouble how small is your strength so rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter it's proverbs 24 10 through 11 and later in Proverbs 25, 26, Solomon makes a rather anti-pacifistic statement when he says, a righteous person who gives way to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. Mm. And so it's not a reality that the Bible always speaks against violence as such, but rather under the uh, under the umbrella understanding that death, disease, conflict... Mm-hmm wicked men, sin only exists because of man's sin and the resultant fall. Such things and the necessity of war and the, and the unnecessary wars that exist as well are only a reality because of the reality of sin in the world. And when Christ comes back to make righteous war on his enemies, by the way, mm-hmm. then he will do away with sin and death once and for all. And there will be no need for war. Right. But in the world we live in, there is a need for for good men to be strong and dangerous and come to the aid of the innocent uh, first and foremost, as we made the point before, first and foremost, um, their own. In other right. words, first and foremost, your own household, your own community, your own uh, state or country. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so as we're thinking about war, it's coming to the forefront of our minds because we're watching it, regardless mm-hmm. of your, your position or stance on whether you, the United States or whatever country you live in should jump into this fight, whether or not, you know, you know, people on the ground who are suffering and, and you think we've, we've got to go help them. You know, that, that's not quite that, the aspect we're, we're approaching here. We're trying to help you think biblically about war. Obviously, as Christopher just said, it, it comes from the resultant fall of, uh, of the, of man, the sin of man, the fall of man. Mm. And we should be prepared to, to be dangerous in a dangerous world. Um, and something that we should be cognizant of is, is the world that we, we live in is, 
it's it's cyclic in a in a way, right? It goes through cycles. Mm. That um, the quote that hard men create strong or hard times create strong men. Yeah. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. That is a, a fair assessment of mm-hmm. the civ- cyclical nature of the way you know the patriarchal way the world works. As men create uh, good times, those good times can soften up and make men complacent, and then. Right. We we go into a into the a brutal cycle. Does that mean that we should not strive to create good times? No, not at all. Right, <laughs> right. It, it's proverbially true that good times lead to the production of softer men, and it's not because good times are inherently bad. It's because good crea- good times create a situation where m- men are not actively required to be creating those good times, right? Uh, men are not actively required to be defending against um, the aggression. The existence of peace creates the situation where there is not active war that is creating strong warriors. Uh, does that mean that peace is not a good goal? Well, no. I think it's Vigetius who says, those who desire peace, let them prepare for war, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, the other side to that proverbial truth that right. peace and good times tends to lead to the existence of weak men. And what Vigetius is saying is um, those who desire peaceful times, they need to be prepared for and preparing for war because the only way to create and maintain peaceful, good times is to create it and defend it. Yeah. Uh, another good quote that Brian Sauvet shared in that Facebook post, he, he says, a Christian view of war ought to start with hatred of it. If war is necessity is necessary, and sometimes it is, we should think about it as Tolkien did through the mouth of Faramir in the Two Towers. I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Um, and so, you know, the idea is going back to your initial introduction to why we're talking about this. You yeah. know, why is it not? Why do little boys say there's a war going on? Cool. Well, because they're they're reading about war. Uh, which is, you know, kind of like, what else do you give boys to read about? Right. Uh, I mean, you've got Frog and Toad is kind of the most, you know, non-warlike oh, right. <laughs> uh, story for, for little kids. Uh, and yet, even in Frog and Toad, there's there's conflict, there's some danger, they're chased by a snake, they mm-hmm. have to deal with, they have to overcome obstacles. Uh, same thing in Winnie the Pooh, you know. Right. But, but from that age range up... What are they reading? They're reading right. St. George and the Dragon and Redwall mm-hmm. and The Hobbit and uh, The Song of Roland yeah. and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The Green it's, Ember, it's all, all that stuff. conflict and war. Mm-hmm. And and why? Well, not because not because any of those books are glorifying violence. It's because um, good men have to take up arms to defend good things. Right. And uh, as Roger Scruton says. Uh, good things are uh, easy to tear down, but difficult to build up and defend. Yeah. The reason that a boy would would th- would think uh, a war is going on cool is because uh, that's the, the the stories he's reading about, and mm. and the reason that we're drawn to stories of war and battle is because what's really going on is these are stories about the bravery and courage and virtue of strong men. Right. And um, and so to have the circumstances in which I've, I've read of incredible 
courage and glory. Now you're saying this is actually happening somewhere in, in the right. real world right. today. Well, that's, that's kind of neat for, mm-hmm. for a young boy's mind, for right. a young boy's mind. And so, yeah, we have to, we have to balance that with the Christian view of that, that, that the existence of war, uh, even the necessity of a just war mm-hmm. is only the case because of the reality of sin in the world. Right. Um, it is natural to for, for young boys to say, well, this is kind of cool. It's exciting right. you know, because right. stories of war are stories of courage and virtue and selfless bravery and um, good, strong men defending their women in their home. You know? Right. Yeah. And there's a difference there that you've got to instill find a way to instill. I'm not saying I've got it figured out. Obviously when my son Hmm. said that, I was like, Whoa, you know, I, I probably put the brakes on a little too hard right off the bat Hmm. because I'm, I'm not as innocent as him. Uh, I was trained in the ways of war. Right. You know, I, I've been trained in the ways of war. Uh, I've not seen real combat. I know many men who have, Hmm. but, um, I'm not innocent to, to the, the darkness of war. And, and so I think there's a, there's definitely a, an aspect or a, um, an approach that, that puts the glory in the right place. When you teach them to glory in, in the self-sacrifice, in that courage, in that, that defending of the weak and the innocent that are all Christian principles emulated by Christ and his ultimate sacrifice for our sins. When you teach him that that's where the glory comes from, not the glory in the bloodshed, not the glory in the thirst, not right. the glory in the plunder and the looting and all mm-hmm. of those things. The glory doesn't come from that, but your right. sin tendency is going to want to be, um, yeah, let's watch him. Let's watch yeah, him, you right. know, kill that guy again. You're, you're going right, to want right. you, your, your sinful spirit will, will try to drive you to those things, but you've got to stay focused, I guess, as a parent and teaching. Mm-hmm. And even as an adult watching war movies, you know the the reason that violence is is so effective in war movies is is or the reason that those those violent things that need to happen in war movies um can be so uh, affecting to us is because we understand that they they lead to the defense of others or they lead to something righteous and that they're a necessary evil i don't know if you if you even characterize it that way mm. but we've got to we've got to place the glory on the right things right yeah there's uh a good, a great famous quote by John Stuart Mill that's war is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks that nothing is worth a war is much worse. When a people are used as mere human instruments for firing cannon or thrusting bayonets in the service and for the selfish purposes of a master, such war degrades a people. A war to protect other people, uh, other human beings against tyrannical injustice, a war to give victory to their ideas of right and good, and which is their own war carried on for an honest purpose by their free choice, is often the means of their regeneration. Uh, he means the regeneration of the people, not mm-hmm. not salvifically, right? Uh, soteriologically speaking, uh, a man who has nothing which he is willing to fight for, nothing which he cares more about than he does about his personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertion exertions of better men than himself. Mm. As long as justice and injustice justice have not terminated their ever renewing fight for ascendancy in the affairs of mankind. Human beings must be willing when need is to do battle for the one against the other. That's good. That's really good. So, so as, as we close this out and we're thinking about, you know, war is happening in our lifetime uh, on a grand scale, 
could lead to further conflicts that maybe draw um, our family and loved ones into into such a conflict, um, some kind of land war or um, or a larger conflict between nations. You know, the the future can seem uncertain, and mm-hmm. and because we already listened to a quote by Tolkien um, by Faramir, I was thinking of two other quotes mm-hmm. that kind of sum this up, right? And and these are rather famous, especially this first one is quoted all over the place. But this may be a good characterization characterization of how you are feeling at the time when Frodo says to Gandalf, "I wish it, it need not have happened in my time," mm-hmm. and Gandalf says, "So do I, and so do we all." who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time we're given. Right. And that is such a potent reminder of, of knowing your place in the world and understanding that y- you live at the providence and sovereignty of the king, of, of Christ our king, and you're placed in the time you're at for a reason. And so that you need to do the best to walk circumspectly, to walk in wisdom where you are. So I think this this applies, this quote, heavily to how you interact with your kids talking mm-hmm. about this war, how you interact with unbelievers or other people, um, no matter their opinion on where whether the U.S. should enter it or not, um, to remember that, that all we have is to decide with what we're done with the time we're given. Don't necessarily lament. Um, it's fine to be sad. War is a sad thing, but don't necessarily lament. Oh, I wish I had never been born. You know, uh, don't give into that despair. Right. Right. And then the final quote, and this goes kind of back to the, maybe the parenting idea. Gandalf, uh, in the return of the King, um, is speaking and he said, it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the succor, the help of those years wherein we are set uprooting the evil in the fields that we know so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. And again, it's along those same lines as the previous quote. The way you talk to your kids and your family about this, the way you interact with unbelievers about it or even think about and talk about what's going on or even war in general can can play a big part into this idea of uprooting the evil in the fields that we know. Mm-hmm. You have a duty and a responsibility as a, as a father, as a mother, to train up your children in righteousness and in a right thinking about things like war. We have a um, an example to uphold, to be salt and light to the world right. and how we interact with them culturally in things like war. Um, you mm. know, we should be the standard bearers in a way on how war should be approached. Right. Right. So I think that's a, that's a both helpful, helpful thoughts and quotes from, from Tolkien. He had a lot to a good things to say about war yeah. and was a veteran himself of, of war. He was in world war one, him and CS Lewis, and both had some very good, um, very good points in how yeah. they wrote about war. And for them, for that matter, just to add one more, one yeah. more, one more quote on yeah. your, your ending quotes. <laughs> uh, I think about even, um, I, th- I thought of two other examples of, of, books that kids read one being all of G.A. Henney's many many books right uh, but the other being The Wind in the Willows which is one of my favorite books The Wind in the Willows has tons of tons of uh, episodes in it that are not particularly about war you know mm-hmm. they're, they're, there's all kinds of just enjoyment of the mundane yeah uh, the motor car the, 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 the motor car but <laughs> the, but then also the you know the um, the, the peace and hominess of um, of Badger's home mm-hmm. and the the docility and, and domesticity of Mole's house and whatnot. 
um, and the com- camaraderie between mole and rat as they're boating down the river mm-hmm. through, through the summer and whatnot. But even in Wind of the Willows, then you have the conflict uh, several times throughout it, but then it's particularly the big battle at the end right. when they're retaking Toad Hall. And and so you have these, uh, and, and that's a good example of where the camaraderie and friendship and the, the, the virtue has been mutually been getting built up in these characters. And, and then it's kind of tested at the end with, with battle. Right. Uh, and that's really one of the reasons that war stories are so uh, potent and, uh, and appealing is that they're the, that war tends to be a testing ground for the virtues we've been cultivating in peacetime. Yeah. One of which obviously being courage mm-hmm. and, and uh, C.S. Lewis has has the quote, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. Yeah. And so that's kind of the issue is um, the real testing ground of, of, of every virtue is played out in the courage it takes to stand for the causes and the, um, the values that you've established when when they're threatened. Right. And that, that's one of the reasons that, uh, war becomes necessary. And one of the reasons that the, the, that the, uh, the courage and strength emulated in good men in such stories is a good thing to put before our children. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're, as you're thinking about, uh, war as, as this conflict with Ukraine and Russia continues to, to develop and, and who knows by the time this is edited and, and posted what, what will be happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, we do, we would say, you know, always you know, be in prayer for those. There's many, many believers in, in Ukraine. We personally know missionaries that are mm. um, pastors who have been to Ukraine, worked with, um, worked with Christians there. And so there, there are many Christians there in Ukraine. Be praying for your brothers and sisters as they endure um, the hardships that come along with war and then um, pray for wisdom and courage for our leaders and, and for the leaders of, um, of those who would, who would do right, <laughs> who would embrace a just war and, right. uh, and defend the innocent. And if you have any questions at all, you can yeah. give us a call if, yeah. you, if you know us. Um, you can always email us at terminmedia at protonmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, Godspeed. Who shall I send? And who will go for us then send?